Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, podcast listeners, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's show, we welcome special guest, Dan Wagner, Resolve's founder, CEO, and chairman. Resolve is a leader in mobile commerce and engagement. On the podcast, Dan discusses key lessons learned from 35 years of entrepreneurship and seven successful startups, the opportunity within mobile e-commerce, his game plan in taking Resolve public, the most important aspect of the Resolve story that investors should know, and more. So with no further ado, here's our show with Dan Wagner, Resolve's founder, CEO, and chairman. Dan, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you on the show today, chat about you, your amazing entrepreneurial track record, and what you're up to these days at Resolve. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you very much for inviting me to participate in this podcast. Awesome. So, oh, thanks. Thanks for the kind words. I wanted to kick things off just getting into your track record of success as a founder and entrepreneur leader as well. It's amazing because you founded, I believe, at least seven companies. The first online information platform in 1984. So a true veteran of the startup game. I was wondering, what are the things that you look for in terms of an opportunity when founding a new venture as you transition between idea and a business? So I like to look at things, you know, in a sort of creative way, because, you know, I I don't look at what's been done, you know, but you can hear that I'm an English guy based in the UK. And it's easy to look over the pond and say, no, that's a really cool idea. I'm going to do that over here. That's not the kind of things that I do. I, I, I like to look at things in a creative way and see whether or not we can create something new. And all the businesses I've created over my career have been things that had never been done before or that they were you know, innovative in some way uh, that tried to solve some problems. And, you know, the, the, like the first company, which you mentioned when I was in 1984, when I was 20 years old, I started a company to digitize newspapers, trade journals, periodicals, and make them available online so that people can interrogate them. And this was, you know, six years before Tim Berners-Lee presented the concept of the World Wide Web at CERN, and eight years before we started using WWW, and 11 years before Amazon started its business. So, you know, it was pretty early days of the internet um, in a very sort of uh, internet 101 kind of way. But that business went on to become the world leader in online information. We listed on NASDAQ, we listed on the London stock market before I sold it to Thomson Reuters, in 2000. Uh, and I cut my teeth as an entrepreneur with that because I was 20 years old when I started and I was 30, 34, 30, 36 years old rather when I sold it. Uh, and I learned an awful lot along the way as, as you, of course you would do. Uh, the second business I set up was in 1998. And this was a cloud-based enterprise e-commerce platform. And again, cloud and, and, and you know um, a cloud-based platform, the, the word cloud wasn't being used in 1998. The, the idea of a SaaS technology stack, which is a, a single instance, multi-tenanted architecture, meaning that you build it once and you can serve many from the same stack. You'd have to spin the plates of running from one place to another. You can run many, many 
merchants on one platform, many, many customers on one platform, was kind of novel and hadn't been really tested. Uh, so we built this platform called Vendor. It was a commerce platform for retailers to run their e-commerce site. And we ran Neiman Marcus and Land's End and TJX companies and Under Armour, J. Crew, L.L. Bean, and many, many others. We were a market leader in Europe. By the time I sold it to Oracle, it's now called Oracle Commerce Cloud, and they run their enterprise commerce stack uh, to merchants through that. And again, that hadn't been done before, so it was kind of a, a take on how to run a, pl- a platform, but doing it in a much more cost-efficient and, and scalable way. And of course, we, we come to Resolve, and Resolve is the same thing. It's a, it's a SaaS platform. It's a new kind of commerce infrastructure designed for merchants to engage with consumers by their mobile phone something that we've been struggling with uh, as merchants for the last decade and a half or longer. Uh, and merchants in the high street have suffered to the point where they've gone out of business, you know, because they haven't been able to talk to consumers who walk around their stores looking at phones, but aren't interacting with the store that they're in, you know, mm-hmm. or interacting with Instagram or something else. And, and you, you need to connect that, that missing link. Uh, and I, I was very frustrated during my period at Vendor, which was the e-commerce platform, um, by the fact that we weren't addressing this problem for our retail customers, we weren't solving it. And it's not an easy problem to solve, but I think that we're doing it with Resolve. And I think that Resolve, you know, it, it, the vision for Resolve is to be the intel inside of mobile engagement or the standard. And all great technology, uh, transformative technologies have been based on standards. So you have the Wintel partnership, uh, which powered the PC industry, or you have VHS that powered the home recording industry, you know, we see Resolve as powering the recovery of physical retail as a core part of the shopper's experience. You mentioned your current project, Resolve, and we're going to get into the weeds on that one in a moment. But prior to that, I did want to read a quote to you from Thomas Edison. He said, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. So in your (laughs) seven startups over 35 years, I was wondering, you know, what did you find that didn't work, the knowledge that you can pass on to perhaps new founders, new entrepreneurs and leaders, what sort of, uh, you know, not failures, but things that didn't work that you came across? So, so I think that everything I've done went through periods of not working. And I think that, you know, most entrepreneurs are familiar with the idea of pivoting or, yeah. or they've read about it or they've heard about it. And, and all businesses have to do that. They have to move and migrate and manage and develop as they go through the path of getting to success. And it's not an easy journey. It's, a, it's an iterative learning experience. Uh, so all the businesses I've ever been involved in have been through this dynamic of having to accommodate the changes in the market to survive and by doing so end up hitting on the winning formula. Uh, and I think that comes from, um, you know, I mean, you, you, you quoted Thomas Edison, of course, he was a incredibly creative, innovative individual who, 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 you know, extraordinary talent. But he wasn't looking at what was out there and redeploying it in a new market, uh, which is the point I made at the beginning. He was doing something new. And I think that I fall into that. I wouldn't dare put myself on the pedestal of Thomas Edison. That would be outrageous. But, uh, but, the, but the principle of creating something new design requires uh, a, a kind of um, agility and a kind of uh, perspective around you that allows you to react to the feedback of getting from the market to, to you know, determine, to, to reshape what you're doing such that you end up with the winning, the winning package. Um, you know, uh, Reid Hoffman said this great thing about being an entrepreneur. It's like jumping off a cliff. 
and building the plane to fly you to safety on the way down, you know. And it's very true. I mean, it is that kind of adrenaline rush of of having to to you know create something um, that meets the needs of the market uh, when not necessarily understanding when understanding that what that is when you jump off the cliff. You you've got a view, right? But you don't quite know exactly how it all fits together. And you know, in most of my career, these pivots have not resulted in the destruction of that entity, that business at that time, and the loss of people's money. Uh, unfortunately, it has happened uh, once. Um, and, um, you know, uh, you just pick yourself up and, and you go again. Yeah, that's a really good point with respect to being reactionary, listening to the market and pivoting when necessary. Now, from a macro perspective, it appears you've always focused on internet and e-commerce, and certainly uh, that fits in with the Resolve story. What appealed to you in that segment, that sector of the market? Well, when I started, remember, we're talking back you know, a long time, 1984, people didn't have computers, people didn't have mobile phones, the fax machine had only just been introduced. It's a difficult concept for us today to think about uh, in terms of how we, you know, you didn't have a mobile phone, right? So, I mean, how do we live? Uh, it was very different. And I'm sitting there watching television, analog television, when a program came on about the future, you know, like uh, talked about you know, new things, new, new innovations and stuff. And it explained, that, you know, computers can talk to each other down the telephone line. And I found this just mind-blowing, you know. I mean, I understood what a fax machine was because I'd seen them around. Uh, I worked in an ad agency at the time, so I understood what they did. But what I didn't appreciate was that it was all based around data going down a telephone line and that that same transport mechanism can be used to interrogate a computer which had a lot of data in it from a device, you know, thousands of miles away. Uh, and so the idea came to me that if that could, if I could use that same mechanism to interrogate news articles and market research and chemicals and aerospace and intellectual property patents and all that sort of stuff, it would save people all the time of having to go to the library. Because in those days, you'd actually have to get yourself into a taxi or get on a bike or go on a bus and go to the local library to thumb through news articles. You know, that's how it was. You know, if you wanted to find something that was a, appeared more than yesterday. So, you know, it was just, an, an, a, a, you know, an epiphany uh, at that moment that if I digitized this thing into a database, then people could search it. Because today, we don't even think for a second about the implications of something like that because we're so familiar with it. Uh, and you could argue that I missed a, an opportunity to, to be Google, right? I, I mean, you could argue that, uh, you know. But, you know, I was the kind of, you know, pioneers often get shot in the back, you know. There is a... There is that saying, and 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 I have no, you know, I don't think that was the case. I think we were providing a corporate library and in the nineties. If you asked your lawyers for a patent search, they were using us. Uh, if you, you know, I launched MSN with Bill Gates in ninety five because we provided the news and the stock prices and all the stuff behind that first version of MSN, and we were providing CompuServe and other consumer services in those days. So we were kind of a B two B sitting behind everything, but you know, the creativity that comes from understanding how the markets may develop is something that I feel that I'm just fortunate enough to have been born with, or, you know, I have that kind of inherent sense. I'm not a technologist, I'm a marketeer. Um, and so I just feel something's right. I don't do the research and plan it out like you'd expect a corporate division in a start in looking to, uh, to enter a new market might do. It's, it's much more intuitive than that. And I think, I think that's uh, difficult to describe or understand. It's just 
purely a creative thing. Right. Sounds like more of a gut feel than, you know, testing out the market. You just got to go for it. it. Yeah, it is. But the gut, the gut has been kind of, you know, on on point, you know, throughout my life. I mean, it feels like it's been on point. And, uh, and so I'm comfortable with where it takes me. Certainly that makes a lot of sense. And your current company, the one you lead and was founder of Resolve has a platform that allows merchants and brands to convert media into an interactive experience on a mobile device. Can you explain to us exactly how it works? So let's just talk about the problem for a second. You know, the the high street is suffering. Uh, Retailers on the high street don't really communicate very well with consumers who are in the nearby area or who walk by or even walk into the store. There is a somewhat disconnect there. And over the years, we've seen what I would call like disaggregation of those retailers through the online channels. And what we've tried to do is, you know, I tried to create a new kind of environment. I mean, I sat down with my team some years ago and I said, let's imagine a world where the retailers don't have any systems. They don't have e-commerce. They don't have a point of sale. They don't have any infrastructure. And the consumer just has a mobile phone in their hand. How would we talk to that consumer? How would we de- how would we interact with that consumer and their mobile phone? That's how I wanted to start the brainstorming that led to Resolve. And, you know, the mobile phone is an incredible device. It's, a, it's got, you know, it can see things through the camera. It can hear things through the microphone. It can, you can interact with it by, through the touchscreen, through tapping things. You can, uh, you know where your location is. You, you can talk to Bluetooth devices. You, you know, it's got all these amazing features which are not replicated on a desktop machine. And e-commerce, which has been around for a long time, um, we've talked about m-commerce for you know equally long time, certainly twenty years. But m-commerce, as we know it today, in my view, doesn't exist until Resolve came along. I mean, m-commerce is e-commerce packaged to fit a small screen. That's not that's not m-commerce at all. That's just e-commerce with a different size screen. You know, that's not the same thing. So we tried to cre- we tried to imagine how to talk to a device using just the the capabilities of that device and. And what we ended up with was with a new kind of commerce platform. Think of it as like a Shopify, but designed specifically for mobile devices. And what it does is it, it allows the merchant to use all of those triggers I just mentioned, you know, image, audio, geo, Bluetooth, to engage with a consumer on their phone. I'll give you some examples, right? Because it's, it's difficult to imagine when you're talking about something so ethereal, so creative, it's, it's sometimes difficult to, to picture it. So... I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm the New York Giants. It's 6 p.m. on a Monday night. And Monday night football is kicking off at 7.30 p.m. And the Giants stadium has 3,000 empty seats. How am I going to sell those seats today? I can't. They're empty. That's the reality. It's the same with a matinee performance of Hamilton, uh, you know, half an hour before the show goes on. It's the same with, with so many of these kind of hospitality kind of environments. So resolve with Resolve, the New York Giants can put a geozone around the stadium, a mile, a mile and a half, two miles, and ping everybody with the New York Giants app. These are fans, and say, "There's tickets for tonight's game. You're ten minutes away. We'll offer you your tickets at half price. Bring the family. Don't watch it at the pub or the bar. Don't watch it at home. Bring your kids. Come to the stadium, and they can fill those seats because a lot of the fans would be very happy. That they don't know that they can get tickets. They don't want to go and stand in the cold." hoping that somebody's going to sell them some tickets. They don't want to try and get box office remnant tickets. They're just not going to do that because it's too cold and it's too much trouble. But to click a button on their phone and the tickets are out in their hand and they just get, come on, we're going. Ten minutes later, they're in the stadium enjoying a hot dog and a coat and getting ready to watch the game. That, that dynamic 
has not been served well. That's just one. That's one trigger. But it's an illustration of the kind of thing that Resolve solves uh, for merchants. And, uh, you know, there are many, many others. But, but that's the kind of thing. So, so we have created a new kind of platform, and it has infinite potential and infinite possibilities because any merchant can use their creativity to use these triggers to create engagements that I can't possibly imagine today because the creativity of the marketing agencies of these merchants is going to be far greater than my thinking on the spot now. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Absolutely. And filling in inefficiencies like that um, is just an incredible use case. And like you said, there's going to be a, a number of different use cases that we're not even aware of today. But getting on into a little bit more granular level with Resolve, can you talk a little bit about the profitability and the underlying muted economics of your business? Yeah. I mean, we, we're having, look, this has been a long-term vision and it's taken some time for the rubber to hit the road and the revenue to flow. I've been very fortunate that the investors who've backed me and my own you know, inherent focus on making this happen um, have seen us through a period of no revenue. But in the last year, in the last 12 months, which is the first full year of trading, Resolve generated over $80 million in this first year, which is quite extraordinary from us for a startup, you know, for a startup year. This year, 2022, we will do $219 million in revenue. That's 133% up. And we are extremely confident in these numbers. These are numbers delivered through our existing channels, through our existing partners, whereby we don't need to depend on something to be delivered or some technology to be delivered to enhance the product or some new customers to be signed, some new partners or distributors to be signed. We, our go-to-market model is to work with partners who have reach into merchants and into consumers. And sitting on the back of these giants, they then roll out to their existing captive market base. Uh, so in China, we have a partner, which is the state-owned enterprise, China Union Pay, and they have 11 million merchants that they serve. And we are, we've penetrated a tiny fraction of that merchant base today. So we have an almost endless growth potential there. Uh, similarly, in India, you know, we're partnered with uh, a number of, uh, of partners who bring us hundreds of millions of consumers and millions of merchants. And so by just rolling out to that existing base of merchants and consumers, we will deliver the numbers that we already have in the model, and we're very, very confident of those numbers. But at the same time, we're in negotiations with new partners in North America, in Latin America, in South America, in Europe, who will follow this model, right, as we roll this technology out, because it's innovative and new and different and exciting to our partners and our customers. And as we roll these things out, it further extends the potential of our revenue growth and momentum. And, you know, I've, as you know, I've been building businesses an awful long time, but nothing, nothing has taken off like this. Business is in a whole different league. It's fantastically exciting. 
you know, it's taken 35 years to be an overnight success. As they say. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it, but it comes from the fact that we happen to have the right product at the right time. Maybe it's something to do with the COVID uh, pandemic that we've just sort of coming out the end of and the impact that's had on physical retail. Um, I don't really know, but maybe that's accelerated the take up and adoption of our product by partners and by merchants and consumers. But whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. The point is that we are sitting in a very unique uh, opportunity now of having something very compelling that's very much needed by the market and not having any competitors. Uh, you know, there is no alternative. You know, you either don't use us or you do use us. You don't use us or you use somebody else who can do something similar because there really isn't anything comparable. A 35-year overnight success and what a great milestone uh, no other great milestone than going public, but you are no stranger to taking companies public. You took Dialogue, a uh, previous one of your businesses, public in the 90s as one of the youngest public company CEOs, so these days a bit more experienced. Why are you taking Resolve public? What's the game plan? Well, so look, we had the opportunity to take capital into, into Resolve in the private markets at much more material valuations. The fintech space is highly valued uh, in the private sector. Valuations of 20, 30, 40 billion dollars are not surprising. Companies that grow this fast are rare, rare, rare entities. Um, so you're right, you know, why didn't we stay private? And the answer to that is that Resolve is a global uh, standard in the making. It's the Intel inside of mobile engagement. It is the standard infrastructure, just as I said with Intel. Uh, and VHS, you know, powered industries. We believe that Resolve has the same characteristics to help solve what we know as an ailing high street, uh, to help solve how magazines and print media is suffering and finding no way, no vision on how to get out of it. And we can transform that, those static media entities into dynamic, transformative publications. Uh, and many other things that we we help solve, which you know too numerous to go in now. But but the, the the point I'm making is that given the the import of what we're doing, we needed to be public. We needed the market to know. Uh, we needed the public listing to allow us to raise our head above the parapet and allow other interested parties to to learn of what we're doing in this form, like we're doing now through this podcast, which we wouldn't have had if I was a private company. We wouldn't have been. You wouldn't be interested, and your investors wouldn't be interested, or your, or your viewers. And so we break, this work, this spreads the word and builds builds on the uh, awareness. And I think that what we're going to see is a is a growth story in the public markets over the next few years. That's going to be just quite extraordinary to follow as we as we grow as a business and in quite you know huge leaps and bounds as we add new territories and markets to our offering as we become more familiar to consumers, for you, Julian, and for you, Mike, to, to use the product and you use the technology, which, of course, at the moment, you're, you, you, you're not. And as that starts to happen, it, it begets greater momentum, greater growth. So, so that's part of the reason. Uh, the other is that you know I can use the public company status and my network through my public company advisors to pretty much get to anybody now, you know, if I wanted to meet the CEO of AT&T, it's not going to be that difficult to get close, right? Or even get in front of that individual. 
Uh, when you're a private company, that's not really possible. So public companies have a lot of value that isn't always obvious to um, uh, to, to to entrepreneurs before they have either experienced it or become a public company. And so that's one thing. And another thing is that we've got tradable currency in our paper that allows us to do acquisitions, tactical acquisitions that would give us footprints in new markets quickly. Uh, and I like that. And we're going to be very active in MA. So, you know, there's lots of, and I probably haven't covered the half of it. So there's a lot of reasons why being a public company has, makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, I'm very happy to have the visibility that public, or the, you know, the scrutiny that it brings with you, because I think that's healthy when you're onto a winner, right? Not so healthy if you're not, but, you know. Uh, but we know we we think we're onto a real winner here, and I think I think the next few years is going to demonstrate what a fantastic business this is, what a what a experienced and dynamic team we are, despite the fact that we are older than the average for an internet type of companies. We're experienced. We know what we're doing. We know what levers to push and to pull, and we know how to build market leaders. and And, and that's what investors are looking for. They're looking to back winning teams as well as winning companies. One interesting aspect of your going public strategy is that Resolve is headquartered in across a pond in London, but chose to go public through SPAC Armada Acquisition Corp. One and list on the NASDAQ. Why did yeah. you choose this specific strategy? Because North America is going to be a huge market for us. Right. And the UK is a backwater, relatively. Mm. And look, I've always been an international CEO and an, an international entrepreneur. I lived in New York. When I started my first company, the online business that we talked about earlier, um, there were no customers in the UK. Nobody had a computer here. I came to the US for a trade show and I sold three contracts in the first few days. So when I came back to London as a 20-year-old, you know, green guy, I said to my board, uh, I've got three contracts. And they said, well, what are you doing back here? <laughs> you know, I said, uh, right, okay, fair enough. And I moved to New York. Uh, and of course, the business took off. And and then I lived, you know, later, I had a very big operation in the States and offices in 11 cities and so on. And then I, I moved to Silicon Valley and lived there for a while and so on. But, you know, I don't see, I might be British and I might live in the UK, but, you know, I'm, I'm constantly traveling international or was until COVID. And, and I have a, a global outlook. Um, you know, my businesses always have been operating around the world, Japan, China, India, you know, um, all across Europe, of course, and North and South America. So, um, and Africa, I should add, they were not quite as more South Africa than anywhere else. But, but you know, the, so the so the so the 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 idea of listing in the states. This is where a technology company like Resolve needs to be. Nasdaq, it, the, the U.S. market understands the incredible ambition and vision that we have in Resolve. They get it that they may not choose to buy our stock. Some investors, but those that do buy into the vision and realize what we're trying to achieve. Unfortunately, the UK investor community and most of Europe don't really have that perspective. They're a bit more parochial, and that's just the way it is. Uh, I don't form part of that mindset. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more internationally shaped. And one key characteristic of Resolve, and you alluded to this, is the just tremendous growth. And you're actually forecasting a revenue compound annual growth rate of 133% in an investor presentation. What are some of the key drivers of this growth and what's going to lead you to become, you know, a billion dollar revenue company? Well, we're going to get there very fast. That's the first thing. And we're going to do so because we have a very interesting go-to-market strategy. You know, we charge merchants, you know, very small amounts of money. This is not a big ticket item. 
this isn't a multi-million dollar sale to a, to a corporate uh, to use our tech. This is, you know, uh, Dan's hardware store on Lexington and 37th can create a geozone on our platform using the tools that we have on the web for a couple of bucks a day and talk to people in the, in the local area, which is, you know, absolutely, you know, um, uh, palatable and, and, co- and, and cost efficient. So ours is a numbers game. We're, we're about numbers. We're about volume. We're about standards. And we're about market footprint. Small amounts of money from a very broad base of, of merchants and, and partners. And we go to market by working with people who provide services to broad base merchants, a broad base of merchants or a broad base of consumers. Uh, we get to the consumers by being added to an app. So, for example, a bank could add our technology into their bank app or a telco could add our technology to a telco app uh, or a social media company like Pinterest or a wallet like PayPal could add our technology to their apps. And what that does is it, you know, the c- consumer wakes up the next day, the app's been updated, resolve is inside, they don't know. It's just a capability, a capability. And then what happens is the merchant, wherever they are, can talk to consumers with that app on their phone. They can talk to them in the ways that they cannot do today. And in the example I gave you with the Giant Stadium, they can talk to them in ways, of course, the Giants have their own app, so they just put the tech in their own app. But for small merchants, they can talk to pretty much anybody. And 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 um, uh, and that's really how we go to market. So we sign a deal like we did with MobiQuick in India, which is the PayPal of India, really, if you want to put it that way. And the next day, we're on 120 million consumers' phones. Uh, they don't know it at that point, but the next time they walk into a geo zone and they get a notification, they get a notification from MobiQuick saying, hey, you want tickets to the cricket, which is starting in 10 minutes. You know, so it's it, it's an enabling technology and it sits behind these partners. And that's why we get scale so fast. It's a it's a very effective route to getting vast scale. And in terms of reaching merchants, uh, our partners are typically well, Union Pay in China is a is a Merchant acquirer, they provide the card machines that you go in and you pay with card or you tap with your phone uh, in retailers' establishments, and they process the transaction. And in the West, there's players like Fiserv, who we partner with, or FIS, uh, or Square, maybe, or people like that, who provide terminals through merchants. And, and so we partner with these guys and we say, introduce our capabilities to your merchant base, and you can share the revenue with us. So it's a very kind of democratic approach to the market. It's not us knocking on doors. We don't have to go raise hundreds of millions of dollars to knock on doors of everyone down the high street one by one. That's just not a commercial proposition that I'm willing to take on right now. Our proposition is to sit alongside our partners and help them deliver solutions to their merchants that are helpful to those merchants and help those merchants survive. And if you think about where we've got to with the COVID pandemic recently, Transaction volumes on the high street and in theatres and in restaurants have been massively decimated in the last two years. You know, people just have been unable to go there, and now they're kind of nervous about it. So obviously, there's going to be an element of recovery that's required. And what Resolve does is it helps bring people back into those physical locations, helps drive them back. So we're very compelling to these partners to help reinvigorate the physical world. I mean, that's not just what we do. I mean, we have, as I said, social media and URL links and all sorts of other cool things. But, but you know, that's the driver at the moment of our growth. So in the next couple of years, um, we don't need to do anything other than support the existing partners we have because they've got such a huge volume of consumers and merchants for us to reach. 
We have a billion consumers to penetrate within the existing uh, partner base and over 20 million merchants to penetrate within the existing partner base. And we and what we've disclosed to the market was, as of October last year, was 138,000 merchants. 138,000 merchants out of 20 million, plenty of growth there, right? So, so we don't need to do anything. But of course, we are going to do things. We are going to sign new distribution partners in new markets in Europe and in North America and South America, as I mentioned, in Latin America. And, and when we sign those, we massively extend our reach. So this is a super exciting uh, business going through an extraordinary uh, inflection point. And it's a rare, it's a rare breed. It's a, it's a rare breed. Hence, the unicorn is that kind of, of. Or, I mean, there's plenty of unicorns out, but you know, that's the, the market. The technology today has allowed companies like Resolve to develop fast into high growth, high return uh, opportunities. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies in one easy to use, one choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. And so you had mentioned a few names earlier, but who have, who have been some of the most important mentors that you've had during your career? Well, uh, you know, my father was a mentor, obviously, because uh, he was a, 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 a corporate executive. He ran BMW Great Britain and uh, Volkswagen Audi and other car companies. And so he helped shape my early desire to start a business and help me understand how a business plan can be built and so on. But thereafter, you know, I didn't really get mentoring. I, I learned from reading books and, and learning on the job. I have enormous respect. I, I've had the fortunate um, experience of having met some of the most impressive entrepreneurs uh, and business leaders on the planet over, over the years uh, that I've been in business and, and worked with them. And uh, the one who stood out more than any other, uh, and you know, I've been fortunate enough to meet many of, them, many of the most famous people uh, who are around today running the largest corporations was Rupert Murdoch, who who always never really had the best the best reputational coverage and uh, profile, um, but he stood out to me as uh, an individual who really understood his business, the detail of his business, and was a real rolled up sleeves kind of op, you know executive and. You know, when I met him for the first time in the late 90s, um, he was already running a huge operation, and uh, like many other guys I met, but he seemed so much more hands-on and so much more in tune, and I have a high regard, and still do. I think he's an incredible, impressive guy. But other than that, I don't really have, you know, I don't really have a mentor as such. I think I've just forged my own path, and I think I think that the, you know, I don't do everything right. You know, as you get older, you realize, hang on a moment, I'm now 58, you know, I must be doing something right. You know, that you get to a point where you start to think, actually, maybe... I might know better than the next guy what I'm doing. Um, I've never really had that arrogance uh, to think that. Uh, and in, in many cases, I never could have justified it. You know, there was never a reason to justify it. But um, 
but I do feel very comfortable about what I'm doing now, and I do feel that I'm on the right path. I do I do feel like I know what levers to push and what not to do, and and how to make this the world leader that I think it's going to become. It certainly seems like it, and it definitely feels like you're well on your way, especially with this recently announced growing public transaction. Now, Dan, before we let you go today or tonight, your time. One last thing, what parting advice would you give to new founders or those considering entrepreneurship? Well, I, I always say the same thing. Go for it. You know, the everybody will tell you not to, and you don't need to know anything. And just as Reed Hoffman said about jumping off the cliff and building the plane on the way down, that's what you have to do. You just have to go for it. Everybody is capable of doing anything they want. And the thing that holds everyone back is fear and people telling them not to, you know? Everyone's got a reason why not. I mean, my mother burst into tears when I said I was going to leave my ad agency job and start my company. She absolutely, she begged me not to do it. She said, you didn't go to university, you, didn't do, you left school early, you know, you finally got the job that gives you a prospect. Now you're going to throw it all away and start some crazy thing to do with computers. You know, this was the, the advice. Really. And of course, you know, uh, it, it kind of turned my head a bit, you know, but I think that the thing is that when you want to start something, you must have total confidence in your ability. Everything is in your control. Every day is an opportunity to create something. And every day is an opportunity to, 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 um, uh, to build something and to overcome any challenges you had yesterday. It's all down to you. So I would say to anybody, anybody can be an entrepreneur and all they have to do is go for it. That's some great words of wisdom. Go for it. So with that, we'll wrap things up here, Dan. Thank you so much for investors interested in looking more into Resolve and their going public transaction, the SPAC that they're merging with, ticker symbol AACI, that is Armada Acquisition Corp. Then once that's complete, you have the ticker symbol Zone, Z-O-N-E. So Dan, thank you so much, and we wish you the best of luck in the future. Thanks so much, guys. Really nice to meet you both. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.